Good evening again. It's good to see each one tonight, especially those who are visiting with us. We appreciate your presence. We continue our study tonight, our fourth and final lesson on Worthy to Suffer. And tonight's lesson is entitled, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Tonight we're going to be looking at how to view persecution, how to prepare, and how to overcome it. Our lessons have been based upon the passage of Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, where the apostle John and Peter had been, uh, had hands laid upon them and, and brought and flogged and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. And it says that then they released them. Verse 41 says that they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. I think some people have the mistaken idea, especially because some of the false teaching of so many uh, radio and television preachers, that to become a disciple of Jesus is to be immune from suffering and sorrow. But Jesus never made such a claim for his disciples. On his own earthly ministry, his life uh, was an example of suffering for righteousness' sake. It was prophesied that he would be the Messiah as the suffering servant of Jehovah. And if we follow in his footsteps, our lives are not always going to be spent in ease and worldly comfort. In fact, if we walk in the steps of him who was hated, despised, rejected, slandered, and crucified, then shouldn't we expect some kind of persecution? If the children of God expect to be glorified with Jesus, then they should be willing to Suffer with Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 says, if, if we're children, then we're heirs also, heirs of Christ and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, and in order that we might be glorified with him. But if we fail to be imitators of God as beloved children, and we live lives so conformed to the world that our light never shines bright enough to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness around us, then we need to take heed to the words even of uh, Amos, that he declared to his generation back in Amos chapter 6 and verse 1 when he said, Woe to those who live at ease in Samaria or in Zion. Do we live in ease on our own choosing? That doesn't mean that we'll always be faced with persecution. But if we're, we never have any ridicule, we never face anything for the Lord due to our conformity to the world and not being uh, a shining light for Jesus then we need to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. But in our previous lessons, we've seen that the people of God have always been persecuted. As Jesus declared in Matthew 23 and verse 24 and 25, that they've been persecuted from the foundation of the world, from the blood of righteous Abel on. And we've looked at that in quite a bit of detail. We've looked at all through the Old Testament period and all through New Testament times and even down to our day and time and as we looked at last night throughout the world that men have been persecuted who strive to be righteous. It's an ongoing battle that started with Satan and his seed and the seed of woman in Genesis chapter 3. God told about that and foretold that there would be an ongoing enmity between the two and it's existed throughout the ages and continues today the righteous have always been persecuted 
And as John explained why Cain killed Abel in 1 John chapter 3, he said it was because he was of the evil one and he hated his brother and killed him because he was righteous. The wicked have always persecuted the righteous. And if our nation, uh, even though it's been relatively free from persecution for the past two centuries, we've seen in our studies and we've pointed out there's been some very disturbing events in recent history that indicates that the lull of persecution that we face very well come to an end. History shows that though there may be laws and the extent and degree of punishment and persecution, that some parts of the world, even though they may even be spared for a time, that it's always returned, always. Now we're in no way trying to say that we know what's going to happen or when it might happen. We're not, it's not our intention to predict what only God can know. But if history follows suit and trends in this country keep going in the direction they are, and especially the speed in which they've been going in the last few years, in fact, even the last few months and weeks, then it's going to be that persecution of the people of God is going to escalate in frequency and it's going to intensify in severity. And we must not be caught by surprise. We understand, we need to understand that Jesus says, they hated me and therefore they will hate you. So we look at our lesson tonight and we ask ourselves, how do we view persecution if it comes? We've looked at three lessons to show that the people of God have always been persecuted and it could very well come to us and come quickly. So how do we view it if it does? Jesus and the apostles viewed it as a blessing, as an affirmation of being considered worthy before God. Therefore, they saw it as something that, that they faced that they could rejoice in. And that seems very odd. Again, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, it says, they rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. To suffer for his name is for his cause, for who he is, what he stands for. And that is the, the will of God, for the truth. And they suffered for that. When the apostles were tried and in prison and beaten for their faith, they saw it as an affirmation of something to be, uh, that they were counted worthy. God chose them and allowed them to, to suffer for his name and, and they were thankful and rejoiced in that. They understood that the path of following Jesus often brought a path of difficulty and just blatant opposition. And you think about it, with all the warnings that Jesus gave these disciples, assurances that they would face it, don't you think that they would have thought something was wrong if it went too easy? That maybe things weren't going like that they should. And when they did face persecution, they went and told their companions and they, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy. Now, two millennia later, we have the opposite perspective, it seems. If we suffer for our faith, we respond, no fair. What's going on? What have we done to displease God? We think something's wrong if we endure discomfort or inconvenience for the crucified one. Then when things are going smoothly, we, we think God's smiling on us. You know, when you think about it and you look at the attitude of these men, that's backwards from what the first century disciples had. That's opposite in their, their viewpoint. You know, we who claim that we must practice New Testament Christianity, and, and we must, uh, do, do we view persecution 
as the first century disciples, to see persecution as a blessing, even rejoice if we're considered worthy to be chosen to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've emphasized that when the people of God throughout the ages have been persecuted, it was not a glorious thing in the eyes of men, and we need to remember that. I hope that's been impressed on you in these, in these lessons. History shows that when men of God were persecuted and imprisoned and tortured and executed, they were not, we look back on them like we talked about with Elijah, for example. You know, we look back and we see him as a great hero of faith, and he was in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of men. You remember when Ahab came, he said, the troubler of Israel. This was the ruler of the nation, and he saw Elijah as a troublemaker. And that's the way those who are persecuted are looked upon by the world. As scum, as traitors, as fools, as enemies. And when they flogged these disciples, the flogging marks branded these apostles as lawbreakers. It was meant to shame them. It was meant to mark them so that everybody would see these people are disobedient. These people are fools. These people are lawbreakers. The Apostle Paul, whom he said in Galatians 6, and he said, I bear the brand marks of Jesus. And he declared in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 9, he said, I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, as men condemned to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, he said. That's the way men looked at it. Notice that word there, 1 Corinthians 4 and 9. He said, we've become a spectacle to the world. Theatron in the, in the Greek, that, that's where we get our word theater from. He said, I think God has made us as, a, as putting us on a theater. In a theater, what did they do in the theaters? Well, all the crowds were gathered around. You've seen those pictures of those amphitheaters in, in, in Europe. And, and there they looked down upon the spectacle. They looked down upon the, the show. The public show, the exposition that was down in front. He said, that's what we are to the world. An exposition of fools. A spectacle. But though Paul was a fool in the eyes of the world, he was not ashamed, but glorified in his suffering. For Christ's sake, he was worthy to suffer. In fact, he told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4, he said, you're suffering something to be proud of. Isn't that something? Well, you know, a blessing something you're grateful for. A blessing something that you exalt in. A, a, a blessing is something that you're proud of. Notice what he said to them. He says, therefore, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, therefore we ourselves speak proudly among you, uh, proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. He was proud of them that they were suffering for the Lord. You know, years later, Peter himself, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, encourages the oppressed Christians throughout Asia Minor. He says, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, what did he say? Keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. He says rejoice in it. You, you've got a great blessing to be able to suffer for the Lord. Somebody says, how do you do that? Amen. How, 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 do you, how do you look at suffering and persecution as a blessing? Affliction is, 
is something to exalt in. Well, the apostles were not ashamed of their punishment because they viewed this persecution like they did because they remembered the words of the Lord. They remember the words of their master, Jesus, the Son of God, when he said in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is blessedness? It's the highest form of happiness, isn't it? It's what it means. The highest form of happiness and inward joy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven's great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And they remembered that. Persecution. Slander. Insult. Do you think it could happen? <laughs> Do you think it could happen here? That we could be prosecuted, for example, and find such an amount that, that we can never pay it back? You know, in, in Oregon... Uh, just very recently, a lesbian couple was awarded $135,000 for emotional, mental, and physical suffering. How would you like to pay that? How would that affect you? You know, things could change very quickly, couldn't it? We could lose our home, we could lose our car. Do you believe that our country, as we know it, could be turned upside down and upside down very quickly by the things that we've looked at this week? That the world could turn on us and persecute us and that human respect and common values could disappear to the point that even family members would toss in their lot that you would die? That a great persecution could come in your city just like it did in the city of Jerusalem when all of a sudden a man was stoned to death and it caused such a stir that it caused men like Saul to go and take men and women and, and put them in prison? And that happened overnight. And it could here. How would we look at it? Would we look at it as a blessing? Mark chapter 13 and verse 12. Jesus said, Brother will betray brother to death. And father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's why they rejoice. They believe Jesus. No matter how dark things got, no matter how hard it got, no matter how difficult circumstances were, that if you'll be faithful, that if you'll endure, that you'll have a reward in heaven, that you'll have the salvation of God, you'll have eternal life, a crown of life, if you're faithful unto death. They believed it. Do we believe it? Is that the way we view persecution? You know, they viewed it also as a means of discipline and refinement. A means of spiritual growth and endurance and strength. Listen to what Peter said. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found the result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you've not seen him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. He was talking to them about suffering persecution. 
And he said, it's going to be good. It's going to be a refining for you. It's going to be a blessing to you. You need to rejoice. And even Peter had seen the Lord, hadn't he? He had denied him, and yet he had seen him raised from the dead, and after that he was a changed man, wasn't he? And he's willing to stand before any court, anywhere, and, and never deny his Lord again. He's willing to suffer for him, and counted it a rejoicing thing, a joyful thing, to be counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. And he says, though you hadn't seen him, you believe him. We believe on their eyewitness testimony. And if you and I believe it, I mean believe it, then we'll be willing to suffer and see it as a blessing, see it as a means of, of refinement. Even James, the fleshly brother of the Lord, James chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The child of God can rejoice in the face of persecution, not because he enjoys the trials and the affliction, because it feels good. It's not that kind of rejoicing. But he knows that by being tested, that it can build endurance, that it can cause him to be stronger spiritually, that, that, that overcoming assures salvation. And I want to tell you, that's what means more than anything, doesn't it? To be assured, eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul said, Therefore I am content with weakness, with insults, distresses, persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. He understood that these things were hard, and physically it made him weak, and it was hard on him at times, and it was pressure upon him, but it made him stronger. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations, Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, a keeping on, keeping on. Tribulation does that. We said this word, we've talked about it before. Tribulation is this word, it means pressure, pressure from both sides. It's like being mashed in a vice. Tribulation. Persecution can be that way. It can let it, you know, mash the spiritual life out of you, or it can make you stronger. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, he said, after you've suffered for a little while, the grace of, uh, the, the God of all grace who called you in his eternal glory in Christ, he himself would perfect, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. He promises that. So when we face persecution, we treat it as a blessing because we've got the promises of the Lord that we have eternal life, that we have him with us, that he'll give us strength, that we'll gain perseverance, that we'll be refined, that we'll be strengthened. It's a means of glorifying God and following in his footsteps, the footsteps of Jesus. Isn't that what we want to do in our lives? Above all, is to glorify God and to walk in the steps of our Savior. And really... We do that no greater than when we are persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But in that name, let him what? Glorify God. If you suffer, whatever it is, and there's many forms of persecution, we've talked about that this week, it can be from verbal harassment all the way to torturous death. But whatever you suffer, if you suffer for the, 
for the name of Christ. Do not be ashamed of it. But see it as a blessing. See it as a means of refinement and discipline and spiritual growth, endurance and strength. See it as a means of glorifying God and following Christ's example. Peter at one time had denied the Lord. He'd done it three times, didn't he? And he and the other apostles had went and, and hid in shame. But they saw the resurrected Jesus. And it changed them. And from then on, they didn't go hide. But they let their light shine before men in such a way that it glorified God. And Jesus said, that's what we're all to do. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine in such a way, what? That men may see your good works. And those very men who seek your good works very well may hate you because of your good works. They may persecute you because of your good works. You know, some people look at that and say, well, I don't want to let my light shine. You know, I don't want to be bragging. That's not what this is talking about. There's a difference between letting your light shine and shining your light. <laughs> he didn't say shine your light. <laughs> he said, let your light shine. Let Christ be seen through you. And when men see the light of Christ through you, many of them are going to despise it and they're going to hate it because from the foundation of the world, from the blood of righteous able, righteous men of God have been persecuted. They've been slaughtered. They've been ridiculed. Well, after Peter and John had been put in prison and brought out stand before the Sanhedrin, in chapter 4 and verse 13, that first time, it says they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Men who were uneducated and untrained and they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. These men were different men after the resurrection. After their belief, once you believe, believe in Jesus, believe in his power, the resurrection proves Jesus to be what he claimed to be. And that's the Son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Proves him to be the Son of God with power. And they saw his power. And they saw the resurrection. And they believed in Jesus. And when Jesus says that blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sakes for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They knew it was true. And they counted themselves worthy. Uh, they rejoiced because they counted worthy to suffer for his name. And so Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 20, when you do what's right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And he knew that. And then that's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to find favor with his Savior and to honor and glorify him. It's also look, looked upon in, from the scriptures as a means of furthering the gospel. You know, sometimes we pray for spiritual revival, don't we? Sometimes we sing about it. We sing the song, Revive Us Again. We, we want a spiritual awakening among God's people, and we need it in our country. We need it in our communities. We need it within our own people many times. We want to see a, a growth among the people of God, but I'll tell you, you better be careful what you pray for and what you sing for. Because many times revival and growth of the church has been preceded by persecution. Some of its greatest growth has come during those times like we were talking about in Acts chapter 8. What happened when they were persecuted? It says there in verse 4 that they went everywhere preaching the word. In fact, when you look back at history, the church many times is its strongest when it was hounded from pillar to post by persecution. Maybe God sees that that's what we need. 
But how do we look at it? We need to see it as a blessing, as a means of discipline, as a, a means of glorifying God and following Christ's example, a means of furthering the gospel. When Paul was put in prison, prison in Rome, he wanted the Philippian brethren to, to know just how it was working out, how they ought to look at it. Lest somebody look at it as being uh, something other than a blessing, he wrote them a letter. And he said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that in my imprisonment, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Garden to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of the Lord without fear. Persecution can be a good thing, Paul said. That he enjoy being locked up there in Rome? No, not, not in that sense. But he looked at it as a blessing. He saw it as, as an, a means of growth, and spiritual strength. He was glorifying God and he was following Christ's example. And he says, I want you to know there in Philippi, I don't, don't get the idea that it's not a good thing. The gospel's going forth and it's glorifying God. This is the way we're to look at persecution. But how we're to prepare for it? One of the ways is to fill yourself with the Word of God. We must fill ourselves with the Word of God. I don't think that we can be encouraged enough to read the Bible, to read the Scriptures. I don't care if you read it on your phone or your iPad or if you read it just out of a book. We need to read it. This is the message of God. This is what prepares us for eternal life. This is what prepares us if we face persecution, we won't give in so that we can have eternal life. But how much time do we spend with it? We need to fill ourselves, we need to fill our children with the word of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, he said, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning and I've written to you young men because you're strong in the word of God that abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. You want to overcome the evil one and you want to be strong? You've got to fill yourself with the word of God. It better abide in you. If the word of God does not abide in you, if you're not striving to fill yourself with the Word of God, you never read it, you never study it, maybe just when you come to services, that is not enough. You've got to fill yourself with it if you're going to overcome the evil one. That's where God's promises are. That's what enabled these apostles to, to look at suffering as something that they could rejoice in because they'd counted worthy to suffer it. Because they, they believed Him and they knew what He said. We must know that if persecution comes, as we say, it's not going to be a glamorous thing. We must have the proper understanding of those who were persecuted by society. Many women of God who faced martyrdom, persecution, they died because of their sincere faith in God. But nobody heard that publicly. The world didn't see it that way. Now, when you go back to, to Hebrews chapter 11 and you read about all those who face lions and sword and torture and mocking and scourging and beating, 
those who faced chains and imprisonment, those who were sawn in two and tempted, those who went around with sheepskins and goatskins and who were destitute and ill-afflicted and, and wandered in deserts and mountains and lived in holes in the ground. These were persecuted as not heroes, but as enemies of the state, as ignorant bigots, as troublemakers, as fools, as narrow-minded, stupid people who had fallen for a lie, who could contribute anything to society, so they killed them. They crucified them, and they burned them at the stake. Suffering would not be a noble thing in the eyes of the world. So our minds and in our hearts, they must be filled with the truth. They must be filled with the Word of God because it'll be hard to remember it when those things are happening on it. When everything's turned upside down. Well, what be in your mind is the Word of God. You know, a good place to show that our lives must be filled with the Word of God is Psalm 119. Now, what do you think about when you think about Psalm 119? Some people say, well, it's the longest one we got in the Bible. That's true. It's an acrostic psalm, part of our beautiful Hebrew literature. It's a beautiful psalm. But I tell you, the thing that I think about when I think about this psalm is I think about somebody who loved the Word of God. That's what this whole psalm's about. And how he was able to be what he was because he loved the law of God. Oh, how I love thy law. You think about Verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation, what, all the day. Or as you said in 104 and, and then in 105, the familiar passage to us, From thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, over and over again in this psalm, he uses different terms to describe the Word of God. He uses law, he uses commandments, he uses precepts, he uses statutes, he calls it the ordinances of God, he calls it the Word of God, he calls it the truth. But he's talking, he's talking about God's Word and how he loves it and how it sustains him. I want to tell you, a man who fills his life with the Word of God and meditates upon it is a righteous man. And a righteous man is going to be persecuted. The righteous have always been persecuted from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel forward. And when you look at this psalm, I'll just give you a smattering of it. When you look at this man, this was a man who was persecuted and we see over and over again how he's able to overcome. You want to know how to prepare for persecution? You fill your life with the word of God and you meditate upon it day and night. You love it all the time. It's a part of your life. In Psalm 119 verse 50, he says, this is my comfort in my affliction. Thy word has revived me. Thy arrogant utterly deride me. Yet I do not turn aside from thy law. I have remembered thy ordinances from old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Where does this comfort come from when he's been persecuted and afflicted? From the word of God. Because it's, he's filled with it. Because there's where the promises are. There's where his strength comes from. Psalm 119, verse 157. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from thy testimonies. 
He's persecuted every which way. But he made it through it because of the word of God. Verse 61, The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten thy law. Verse 69, The arrogant forge a lie against me. With all my heart I observe thy precepts. May the arrogant, verse 78, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I will meditate on thy precepts. In verse 86, the commandments are faithful. They've persecuted me with a lie. But you will help me. Help and strength comes by filling ourselves from the word of God. That, that's preparing. How much are you preparing? How much weekly do you spend reading the word of God and meditating upon it? You've got to be spiritually rooted and grounded to be prepared. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope is for you is to be firmly grounded, knowing that as you are shares of our suffering, so also you'll be shares in our comfort. How, how are you going to find comfort in persecution? And suffering. The only way is if you're firmly grounded. Grounded in the truth. Grounded in the promises of God. Grounded in what Jesus said. And believe it. Firmly grounded in truth. You know, if you're not firmly grounded in truth, you're going to fall away. You know how I know that? Because <laughs> Jesus said so. You remember the parable of the sower? You look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 16. He said, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no firm root. They're not, they're not grounded. They have no firm root, but they're only temporary. He says, then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. You, because of the word. When you live the word of God, there will come persecution. And when persecution comes because of the word and you're not firmly rooted in the word, he says you'll fall away when affliction and persecution comes. Ask yourself, are you firmly rooted? Are you grounded? Are you feeling yourself with the word of God? My battery is very low. There we go. Thank you. You know, there's some people who are not firmly rooted and grounded. There were some in the first century, wasn't In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, he upbraided those people because they wasn't working to be firmly rooted and grounded. He said, by this time, they ought to be teachers. But their problem was they was still in need of the elementary principles of the oracles of God. In other words, they were still feeding off the ABCs of the gospel. And you know, there's some people who've been Christians for 10, 15, 20 years longer, and they still don't know more about the word of God than they did when they become Christians. They're not much more. He says, by this time they ought to be teaching, but they're still just feeding off the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And it doesn't allow them to, to be 
mature as they ought to. And it says it's the mature who by practice have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. If you want to make the right choices when persecution comes, then you have to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. You've got to long for it. Like Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, long for it just like a baby longs for milk. You don't have to coax a baby to eat. We've had four of them. Every one of them always got up at 2 o'clock. I mean, I just, you know, every two hours, just boom, boom. Of course, I was fortunate enough. Robin done the feeding, but, but I heard them. You don't have to coax a baby to eat, do you? He said, that's the way we ought to be as Christians. If we're trying to be prepared, we will be. How, how do you remain steadfast? That's what, you know, if you're rooted and grounded, that means you're, when whatever comes, and it could come, couldn't it? Could it come hard right here at home? Look what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness. Don't fall away from steadfastness, being rooted and grounded. How you keep from doing that? He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're not growing, you're not rooted. You think about a tree. How does it get more rooted in the ground? The more it goes up, the more rooted it gets in the ground. And I've seen drawings where it shows that you look at a, a great oak tree. Look at some of these trees over here next door. How big they are and all the branches and limbs and twigs that go off. They say underneath the ground is as many roots spread out as what is up above. Can you imagine that? Take a large oak tree and just think everything that's up there is down there. rooted out. But if it's not growing up, it's not growing down. And we need to be growing up as Christians, putting down our roots. And that's what's talked about when it's described the man in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 in verse 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Why, does he, why is he able to overcome those things? It's because his delight is in the law of the Lord, in the word of God, as he described. He says he's one who meditates on that every day. And he says he'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. He's rooted and he's grounded. Now we've got to be faithful now with a determination to be faithful then. You know, we look at persecution, we look at these terrible things that we've uh, looked at all this week about what's going on all through the ages and what's going on right now in our world and how it very well may be coming here. We see some very disturbing things in our country. You say, well, would I, would I be faithful if that came? What if it came to us like it did to those in the Revelation? Just like Jesus told Smyrna, he would tell those at Westwood that persecution's coming and you're going to be cast into prison but don't fear be faithful unto death which tells you what you're going to face be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life would you be faithful you know nobody can say what they do until, they, until you faced it a lot of people can say oh I know what I'd do you don't know what you do until you face things you can say what you would like to do, what you'd hope you'd do, what you'd pray you'd do. 
But I'll tell you one thing for sure. If you can't be faithful in time of ease, you won't be faithful when it gets hard. We've got to be faithful now if we're going to be faithful then. Look at Psalm 78, verse 8. Here's a warning to the, the second generation of Israel. And he's warning these people not to be like the Israelites that were before them. What was their problem? He says, don't be like the fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. He said the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. Are you preparing your heart? He said, don't be like those Israelites who didn't prepare their heart. They were stubborn people. There's some people you can tell, you, you know, we, we, you need to be faithful. You need to, you need to be faithful to the assemblies. You need to be faithful to God and, and, and study your Bible and, and meditate upon it and, and try to be more spiritual and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And they almost take offense at it. He says, don't be like those stubborn, obstinate people who did not prepare their heart. Are we preparing our heart? Who were not faithful, he says, to their God? You know, they looked at themselves, I'm sure, as prepared and faithful people. And God was on their side. But when the battle came, even though God had equipped them with everything they needed, when they got in the battle and the battle got hot, they left, they ran. And there's a lot of people in in the day of persecution. Like we talked about last night, there's going to be a lot of people who are not prepared and they're going to be surprised. You know, our lesson last night was not, don't be surprised. And how many times we're told, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But there's going to be some who's not prepared and they, they're not going to be ready and they're going to be caught by surprise because they've not been faithful in time of ease and therefore they'll fall away in times of trial. People, as we said, who go to church, but yet they're not an active member of the church. You've got to be active to be growing. You've got to be active to be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, he said, Therefore, my brethren, be you steadfast, immovable. Isn't that what we want to be? We've got to be rooted and grounded. We've got to be faithful, have the determination to do that. He said, be ye steadfast and movable. How are you going to do that? He said, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Just underscore the word abounding. What does that mean? It's talking about the work of the Lord. And he says, you've got to be engaged diligently in it. You've got to do it laboriously, excellingly. That's what abounding means. Now, does that describe me? Does that describe you and your work of the Lord? If not, then you're not preparing. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, sometimes we just quote that by itself. But look at the context. Look at the next verse. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. He's talking about facing persecution. And Satan is prowling around all over this world looking to work against God's people. And you know where a lion goes after? He goes after the wheat prey, doesn't he? He says you need to be firm. 
in your faith. They'd be rooted and grounded and they'd be faithful now with a determination to be faithful then. To do that, I think we've got to be settled in our convictions and know what you're to do and why. You know, when you think about being settled in your convictions, and Peter tells us that we've got to be able to give a defense for the hope that's within us, having sanctified Christ in our hearts. You know, we've got to know what we would do if it would come. Not we will. We'd probably make the wrong decision, having to make it in haste. We've talked about all so many uh, illustrations of what could come. I just want to use an illustration of some of the things that we've looked at just recently so that we might be able to better consider how what we would do beforehand. We need, that's one of the reasons you can not only fill yourself with the Word of God, but you meditate on it. How, how, do you, how are you going to apply that? If, if persecution comes to me, we see some of the persecution that's starting in our country. We've seen uh, the, uh, the bake shop. Uh, we hear about photographers who have to make decisions about how they're going to deal with, uh, with the homosexuals and also pizza parlors. But it's not just these people, but also county clerks and, and preachers. And it's going to be with people that are in construction and you're going to have to deal with people who very well may be looking to, to persecute you and to prosecute you. And we need to know what we're going to do beforehand. What would be right and wrong in those situations and where do we draw the line? For example, you, some, some are asking themselves, and I've heard some discussion among Christians just recently saying, uh, can a Christian do business with a homosexual? And we need to decide that. Or, you know, it could be if you have a business to sell something, or it could be that you're going into a business to buy something from someone who was a homosexual. Or are you going to do, can you do business as a Christian with a homosexual? And the answer to that is yes in some circumstances. To say no would mean that you could only do business with faithful Christians. Um, because to apply that same principle, then you can do any business with anybody that, that was of any sin. We need to understand, and we've emphasized a lot in these lessons about the things that we're facing in our nation because of uh, same-sex marriage and homosexuals. Homosexuality is a sin. And it's many places in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 6, other places, shows that it's sinful. God does not approve of it. But it's no more sin than any other sin. All sin is abhorred by God. Different sins have different consequences. But sin is sin, and all sin, including all liars. When you read Revelation 21, verse 8, and even the cowardly are going to be, have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we can't say, well, I'm not going to do any business with anybody that's a sinner. If I'm going to say that about the homosexual, then I'd have to say it about everyone who is a sinner, those who were involved in adultery, or those who were drunkards, or those who were swindlers, or, or whoever. But, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and uh, verse 9 and 10 tells us, he, Paul said, I wrote you my letter not to associate with immoral people. When I read that, when he wrote that, he said, I didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or covetous or swindlers or idolaters. Then he said, you'd have to go out of the world. You, you couldn't do anything if that would be the case. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25, that you can eat anything that's sold in the, uh, in the 
marketplace for his meat without asking questions for conscience sake. If I go in and the person may be a homosexual, they may not be a homosexual. Uh, maybe the company that that I want to buy the product of, have homosexuals in it. Can I buy that? According to this, I can. I'm just buying a service. I'm not buying, I'm not promoting a, a, in the same way if I own a business. Homosexual comes into my business. Can I sell something to them? Yes, just like if it was a, a man who was a drunkard or an adulterer or whatever kind of sin that he might be involved in. I could sell them and provide a service to them. I think those passages show that. And I don't ask any question for conscience sake. Just like the person who come in to buy a cake we were looking at just a minute ago. Uh, they said that they sold cakes to homosexuals. They were pretty sure that they were homosexuals came in to buy cakes just like a lot of other people. They didn't refuse to sell them cakes. The problem was is there's some situations where you can't do business with a homosexual. The answer would be no when, it, when my actions or my example condoned or promoted their sin. Then the answer would be no. When they not only just came in to buy a cake, but they want me to, to cater their, their homosexual wedding, then that's a different thing. They're wanting me to participate in that. Then my example or uh, my actions may condone what they're doing. So the answer was no, as it was with those people or the photographer or the pizza parlor. The answer would be no when they're trying to uh, put me on the spot, when they're trying me to see if I would... Con- Condone what's sinful, and they're pushing their agenda. Because it's wrong to condone sin. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, he speaks of, condemns those who not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's wrong. You may not do something yourself, but if you condone it by your actions, by your example, then it's sinful. And this be similar to the situation that the apostle mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 26. He said, the earth and is the Lord and all it contains. Therefore, you could eat meat offered to the idol's temples. We read up there in verse 25. But he says, if the unbeliever invites you in and you, and you go, he says, eat anything set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Might be offered to an idol's temple, might not be. Doesn't matter, all things belong to the Lord. It's just meat, it's just something to eat. But, he says, if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, he says, then don't you eat it. He says, for the other man's, uh, for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake, he said, I, I mean, not your own conscience, but for the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? So when they're pushing their agenda, making a test case out of it, the answer would be no. And I need to think about those things. That's just one example. But I need to be settled in my convictions. So to be prepared, I've got to be filled with the word of God and spiritually rooted and grounded. And I've got to, be settled in my convictions. But as we close, how do I overcome persecution? Well, you got to view it properly to start with. And having properly prepared yourself, when persecution comes, you entrust your soul to God. Paul, or Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator and doing what's right. You trust in God and you remember his word and the preparation that you made and don't you give in. You trust in him. He's the God of all nations and no matter how bad it gets and no matter who rules the country or if there's no rule at all, you remember God's the ruler of the universe. As he said 
through Daniel, Daniel 4 and verse 17, the most high God is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows of it whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. God's running this place. The whole universe. You remember in Revelation 19 and verse 16 who Jesus is. That he is the victor. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who on his robe and on his thighs written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who he is. And all will answer to him. And therefore, no matter what comes your way, and it could get bad. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to predict anything that it may, there may be nothing more come in my lifetime and yours than what we see right now. But if trends keep going like they are and history repeats itself, it follows suit. And what we've seen from the foundation of the world onward, it very well could come. And if it comes, you fear God. You trust Him. Don't fear man. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You fear God. We'll answer to Him. They may take our body and they may decapitate us. They may torture us. Very many ways that they could take our physical life but Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life. And he said, if you believe in me, you'll leave. Even if you die, he said, if you believe in me, you'll never die. And we've got to believe it. And stand fast. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that you may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? You know, facing persecution is not to be viewed as Something to be feared or troubled. If you look at it right, you prepare yourself, you trust in God, you fear Him above man. Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 14, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not fear their, uh, their intimidation and do not let yourself be troubled. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul said, We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in our body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also might be manifest in my body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to the death of Jesus for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also might be manifest in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. They couldn't get him down, even they killed him. Jesus told those at Smyrna, don't you fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, he said, and I'll give you a crown of life. And finally, you need to pray. We need to pray now in preparation. And certainly if we face it, we need to pray. We be thankful out of all the titles that are given to God, the one that's given to him in Psalm 65 and verse 2 is, a, is one of the most wonderful titles that's given to God when it says that he is a God who hears prayer to thee all men come. God hears our prayer and he wants us to pray continually. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. And he wants you to pray about everything. 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. These are the things that we must do if we're going to be faithful unto God, if we're going to be prepared, we've got to fill ourselves with the Word of God, be ready and settled in our conviction, trust in Him when it comes. If we will, we will overcome. I want to close with this passage. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you don't have this hope that is in Jesus Christ, in His Word, His promises, it's all backed by the power of who He is through His resurrection from the dead, then you need to come to Jesus tonight. If there's sin in your life, you have no hope in time of ease or in time of persecution. If the Lord comes, you'd be unprepared. But you can come and you can be baptized into Jesus, know that your sins are washed away, and that's the first step of, of being prepared for whatever comes. Because through him you have victory. If you're hearing a Christian and not been living like you ought to, and you're not prepared, and you're not ready, you need to make things right while you can. Because it says in Romans 8 and verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. If you don't have that, won't you come? Right now while we stand and sing the song.